Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me as always is a man who was launched into space and, del- and turned into delicious rock candy. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and you'd be surprised how often going into space results in <laughs> rock encrusted rock human beings. <laughs> Uh, I just like the idea that, like, you come back and you're just a screaming terror who's also super delicious. <laughs> like, you can't seem to keep, like, animals and people from walking up and licking you, despite the fact that you are clearly, like, going insane inside of this, this suit of rock candy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually what happened that formed Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that makes from sense. From the song yeah. of the same name, you see. Right, right. That's terrifying, actually. You know, it's a very it's kind terrifying of a, th- Kind oh of an God. Appalachian thing, you know? Uh, stereotypically. Yeah. I mean, no, it, it, yeah. I, mean I, I, I encountered rock candy at various pioneer-oriented activities throughout. Oh, I meant specifically uh, Big Rock Candy yeah, Mountain is an American folk song, you know? Not, yeah. Not, not but, rock candy in general, but... Well, I mean, like, I don't... I like. My experiences with rock candy have been limited to that genre. I just feel like uh, space radiation would explain the other aspects of Big Rock Candy Mountain, like how the hens lay soft-boiled eggs and their cigarette trees. Um, Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's all space radiation, and uh, we're probably going to die. Right. Absolutely. Do not visit. Do not visit Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yeah, unless you you want an enormous... Deadly level of radiation. If that's what you're going for, go get him, Tiger. You will turn into rock candy yourself. Ah, the Cronenbergian version of Big Rock Candy Mountain. Which I love. Uh, Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there, okay. for just a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode that you also oh, get to really? vote on what we're going to watch. It's always a non-Criterion film. We put together a list, uh, themed, usually, sometimes suggested by our Patreon supporters themselves. And, uh, and they all get to vote on that. And then Pat and I watch it, often with a guest. And it's fun. It's well, we fun. don't watch. You might watch it with the guest. I don't watch oh, it with I the guest. I watch do. it alone in the we, dark in my house. After we all, we talk my about it with a guest. I mean, sorry. Of course, I decided uh, to be super pedantic today. Thank you for being super pedantic today. That's great. Since we're about to talk about a sci-fi horror <laughs> film, pedantry is definitely the level we want to start at. Absolutely, it's the best way to to roll into this. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we've watched a lot of really great non-Criterion films over there. Some some that maybe should be in the Criterion collection and some that definitely should not. Uh, movies like Dog Day Afternoon and uh, another great Sidney Lumet film, Failsafe. Uh, we've also watched things like Ready Player One and Aliens and uh, Monster Squad. It's uh, really an eclectic mix. <laughs> you really did pick a grab bag there, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, 
Sometimes yeah. the themes are super loose and confusing to Pat, who doesn't actually get to see the lists. <laughs> That's also fair. Uh, now, item number five on the list is always, always Kazam. The and that's because it matches film. every theme. Because really, Kazam could fit into any theme, yes. Sci-fi horror. Uh, <laughs> if you if envision the correct way, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know how they kill the villain in Kazam? That is sci-fi horror. I have forgotten. Horror. I have blocked out most of Kazam at this point, honestly speaking. Kazam, Kazam squishes the villain into an animated basketball. And then throws him down a burning elevator shaft. Oh, right. Yeah, that's horrifying. Yes. Yes. That's for kids, right? That's all. Oh, that's, all that's all safe for children, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. It's mid-90s safe for children, certainly. Uh, we have a lot of fun over there, though. Uh, like I said, just a dollar a month gets you access to those bonus episodes and to the entire back catalog, and you get to vote on the future ones. Uh, so head over to patreon.com slash criterion if you want to get involved with that. A little extra, $5 per month. The only added bonus is that we thank those people on air. But we do have some people on that $5 bonus. And we are grateful, very grateful, to Adam Speakerman and to Kevin Little for their continued $5 yes, support. thank you. A bit above that, we do something that I really love. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the films we've watched recently. I get that printed up on postcards and write a little personal note to you. And we also thank those people on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath for your $10 and above support. Absolutely. Thank you. Very, very grateful for you guys. This week, we are starting a box set called Monsters and Mad Men. Yeah, we are. Look out. (laughs) Yes. It is a set of four sci-fi horror films. Or sci-fi and horror films. Uh, I don't know if they well, all Well, I mean, they're all really horror, going for like both so far. Yeah. So far, at least, they're both going. They're going for both. Uh, these are all films that were uh, produced by Richard and Alex Gordon, two British brothers, uh, who, uh, who got their set start uh, in film very early on. Uh, so these films... All came out in 5960 or 5859. Alex Gordon's start was as a co-writer for... This is ridiculous. Alex Gordon's first Hollywood gig was in 1954, co-writing the John Carpenter Western that was eventually released as The Lawless Rider with Ed Wood. What? Okay. <laughs> I can't. I can't even process what you just told me. That's. Yeah. I mean, uh, Johnny Carpenter, not 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 the John Carpenter you know. Okay, um, I was gonna say I was like the John Carpenter you're, you're, Western. You're describing that's why things to me that John are Carpenter, incomprehensible. John Con- John Carpenter is a different Carpenter. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified when I said that. When I said it was a Western, I, I thought I was clarifying. But I was but like, that, you're, you're that's telling a thing me I know that John that Carpenter other don't know. So I should have I should have directed just, no, a Western no, no, with Ed no. Wood and this guy. No, no, 1950s Western John Carpenter is a different John Carpenter. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, sure, I, I buy Sorry. that. Are you sure? Like, how sure are you of that? I am, I am 97% sure. 
I mean, I, I, I prefer the universe you accidentally created. <laughs> I wish, I wish that were true. I wish that John Carter. Like at some point, he start, moved over. Got like, his start in like, '54. Oh, <laughs> right, directing westerns co-written by Ed Wood. I would love that. That would be amazing. It would be the best thing ever. At six years old, somewhere the John Carpenter who made the thing would have been six when that movie (laughs) came out. Yeah, right. Okay, I don't think it's wrong to assume John Carpenter is somewhere in his hundreds. Okay, Okay. like I'm looking at his Wikipedia page now. He does look old, but like it's not unreasonable to be like, yeah, this guy may or may not be a vampire who's eternal. Like I buy it. Holy shit, anyway, he went to Western the, Kentucky University? The wham the wham line of that description was supposed to be co-written by Ed Wood, not directed by John Carpenter. And I'm <laughs> sorry, you broke <laughs> it. Sorry, I'm sorry that I broke it. That seems that. like your problem, not mine. It's fair. Oh. It's fair. Um, oh, too good. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, God, Richard what would Gordon John also... John Carpenter Western look like? I guess it would be very <laughs> similar to... Uh, like I guess it would be, be like pretty similar to Big Trouble in Little China anyway. That, yeah, <laughs> first off, first off, a lot of a lot of John Carpenter's films are sort of Western influenced. Yeah, but that's also, true. Also, uh, the thing as a Western was that Quentin Tarantino movie that came out, The Hateful Eight, is the thing as a Western. Oh, I never saw so, it. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, Richard Gordon, Alex's brother, uh, also uh, also got into film as quickly as possible. Uh, even uh, even in school organizing film societies and, and editing film magazines. Uh, in 47, the two of them moved to New York City uh, when Richard was 23 and Alex was just a bit older than him, uh, starting their own distribution company called Gordon Films. Uh of importing films into the U.S. Um, Yeah. So they were the producers, sometimes unnamed producers, on all four films that we'll be watching. They are the common denominator here. Uh, But also three of them are directed by Robert Day. Uh, Three of the four. Uh, This one... In fact, First Man Into Space is directed by Robert Day. And uh, the next one is the only one not directed by Robert Day, uh, The Atomic Submarine, um, which is instead directed by, oh, what's his name? Spencer Gordon Bennett. Uh, Robert Day did a lot of (laughs) B-movie films. Yeah. Uh, That that checks out. He he had a pretty solid run on the 60s Tarzan movies. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's basically what he did. But this this week we are talking about First Man into Space, uh, whose working title was Satellite of Blood. Which, by the way, there's almost no blood in this Satellite of Blood. There's no satellite in this Satellite of Blood either, Pat. Well, they're operating on that. Like, wow, we just figured out what space is. Everything that goes around the Earth is a satellite, because that's technically true. There's as much blood as there is satellite. Well, I mean, yes. He becomes a space vampire. There is implied blood. 
in the same amount. I get, yeah, but yeah, there's and there's implied satellite because we don't actually see it fly around the Earth, but we assume. Right, right. They are. You were right. They are identical levels of both. Right. That's all I say. Um. Yeah. The. Uh... <laughs> Such a ridiculous movie. I love this oh no, it's so amazing! Much. I yeah. my favorite thing about I want to just get it out here. The best thing about fifties horror movies yeah. is the fact that I can watch them because they are the least scary shit on earth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm baffled. Like every time I watch one, I literally cannot comprehend why this would be like. What was going on in people's minds that they were like, "Yes, this is scary." I'm I am horrified right now. It was a different by time. Existential dread of going into space. Okay, so like we're in the time between Sputnik and the first man into space, which would be 1961, uh, 2 years after this film. As uh, we, we talked are... about before we started the episode, they yeah. didn't know the second one. Right, because none right. of them were Russian spies, presumably. <laughs> presumably. I'm not even sure the Russians were sure that they'd get a man into space by 61. No, absolutely. They uh, absolutely were not. That's that. Any yeah. Every documentary I've, I've seen has made it very clear that, well, we're going to give this a sh- We're going to give this shit a yeah. shot. Let's go. So Hopefully this guy doesn't explode in space. What what year was, what year did Leica go into space? I don't know. My, my space history is not that good. Fifty-seven. Okay, so so at this point, the only thing, the only living thing going into space had died. Um, yes. Uh, but that was that was not that was presumably not a deadly rock turning into space radiation problem. So rather much as a, a complete hey, lack we of didn't life build support. this thing to bring this thing back yeah. thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, we don't care if this dog comes back alive. Oh well. That's fair. Um, oh no! I'm looking at like a Wikipedia page now. Yeah, me too. You should not have done that. <laughs> I should not have done that. That's just sad. Yeah, no, I I love it. It's no, but the whole thing is really depressing. There was a video game though, based on the idea of Leica came back. Uh, yeah, an indie video game that came out. I never played it, but I heard there was really a, good things about it. It might be it might be related. There was a there was an indie comic. Uh, yeah, based I think on they the were idea that like uh, uh, landed somewhere else. Yeah, um, I believe if I remember correctly. Uh, anyway, the the sad part of the like a uh, Wikipedia page that I'm sure we both just saw uh, was that she died almost immediately of overheating, uh, whereas mm-hmm. the traditional claim. Uh, that was not uh, not officially overturned until 2002 upon the release of that information uh, was that she suffocated when her oxygen ran out on day six. Uh, not that she died immediately, <laughs> probably before she made it into space. Right. Yikes. Anyway. Oh, uh, oh well. <laughs> all that to say, this is a time where... Uh, Space was the new frontier. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get that. The possibilities were limitless, but also uh, so far beyond the grasp, <laughs> you know? 
Right. No, I know. Like, wait, let's be clear here, okay? We live in a world where uh, they made a horror movie. I think it was called Unfriended. Uh, <laughs> Which which does play into the same concept, right? Like, oh, this is a weird new frontier and none of us know what the fuck's going to happen. But, like, that's also fundamentally not scary. Like, what they had to do in that scenario was take a fundamentally unscary thought and amp up the scariness by doing a bunch of dumb shit to it. Right. 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 And they did that in this one, and they do that in all these movies like this. But the difference is, is that, like... 1959's version of amping stuff up to make it actually scary is so sad that it comes off more depressing than anything. And and I find it fascinating. That's one of the reasons I like, I actually do enjoy this era of horror film is that like it has this weird sort of meditativeness to it at the same time where it's like there's it's it's never like that much shock and surprise as much as like as every every horror movie is like a weird secondhand version of Canticle for Leibowitz or something. Like this weird, (laughs) like, here's how we're all gonna die in the slow dredge of our existential failing. Like, it's like... There's... Okay. On the one hand, yes. And we'll get into that more with the next episode, I think. And films like, say, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, Um, absolutely. The more overtly political sci-fi films. This one, I feel like, is more of the second-hand Frankenstein. And it's it's also a very common theme in in 50s and and 40s horror films of man being punished for his hubris. Usually an individual being punished for his hubris. And our our test pilot here thinks that he's the best and he can do this, so he goes to space before everyone's ready for him to go to space. And he... Gets turned into a monster for his efforts, right? And like, uh, and I get, I get that. But like, what I mean is, um, and I'm not knocking this thought pattern. Like, I don't like. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the Frankenstein sort of butchered Frankenstein story <laughs> as yeah. a concept, right? Because we've we've done it eight bajillion times, right? Right. The difference is, is that like, it, it is a little bit odd in two ways, in the sense that like a lot of them do come into this territory where like. Because you also want to be man punished for his hubris, you get you get this weird sort of secondhand effect where like he didn't invent the rocket that took him to space. Right. He's not you know what I mean? Like it's not he's not the creator here. He's just the dude who piloted it, right? Um Well, technically whereas, not a rocket that brings him to space either, a uh, a high altitude supersonic yeah, jet. It's all it's all garbage, okay? It's all yeah. garbage. Like ooh, there's air in space, right? Um but um no, I just it's I don't know. Like, I understand, like, those themes and all that, but, like, you, those, this one manages to fall between the level of dread that you get with actually Frankenstein, okay? Yeah. Which is pretty fucking terrifying in its own really sort of, the you know, for the era that it is and everything like that, right? Uh, but, like, and then you get modern horror, which is just, like, I'm just going to make a lot of shit fly at your face all the time so that you can't ever so that all your adrenaline reflexes just keep kicking on all the time because we've discovered that this is just the easiest way to scare people right um and so you fall somewhere in between where you lack what frankenstein has but you don't have what that like just make people shit themselves in the theater has (laughs) and you get to this weird gray territory where it's like well this isn't 
scary on an existential level or on a jump out and, and surprise me level, right? It's just sort of like, well, there's now a rock monster wandering around this place. He's maybe invincible, except for air is his weakness. <laughs> He's running out of oxygen. He can't actually breathe. But, like, also, that takes a long time. Like, I don't know. Well, that's, you know, he's he's drinking he's drinking blood in order to get the oxygen out of it. It's explained in the film. I don't know why you missed this. No, I uh, caught it. No, I um, it. It is it is definitely a half-ass plot, let's be clear here. <laughs> like, it is, it is, even by the standards of movies of this era, a pretty half-ass plot. It yeah. just is. Um, yeah, because they wanted to combine Frankenstein and vampires, right? Like, that's what they wanted to do, right. and they wanted to use space as their medium. Um, right. And then somebody found archival footage of... Um, not even archival footage, but got stock footage of, uh, like, high-altitude rocket testing. Yeah. Uh, so. Or Chuck uh, Yeager or whatnot. <laughs> which, how they how how that was publicly available at that time is... Like, it must have been from newsreels, right? Like, it had to be. Yeah, probably. Because, like, otherwise I can't imagine that being the public, like, available to the public. Oh, yeah, here's our super secret, <laughs> like, uh, high-altitude rocket planes. Uh, just available to the public in general. Well, I don't know. The X the X two was retired in fifty six, so there was probably yeah. I mean, yeah, but like, keep in mind, like, how long? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But like, they keep they kept things in under wraps, like right. for a pretty long I mean, that's time, fair. usually. So this had to be from like publicly available materials, anyways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, once kind of just surprised. Once Jaeger broke the sound barrier, that's not something the the government sat on. That's something the government bragged about. So, right, that's true. Yeah, I know, but like, it's it. I feel like they like most of the shots I saw, and I'm just kind of just fucking around here. But like yeah. that, that's it. Does seem very. Uh, I don't know. It feels it feels like a weird shot to just have available in 1959. Yeah, that's fair. I like uh I like that the uh the plane's name is switched from from X2 or whatever whatever number X we should be on to the Y13. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then theoretically just kept going up from there. <laughs> yes. But he is very unlucky in the Y13 as well. So, you know. Um Marshall Thomas who plays the commander, the the pilot's brother. If you say so. <laughs> I do say so. We've seen him once before. Yeah, uh, his face is familiar. He is the male lead in uh, Fiend Without a Face, the mm, okay. other 1950s horror film <laughs> we, we've seen as part of the collection. We've seen a couple 1950s horror films from the collection, but what that is, that is... I've mostly forgotten what Fiend Without a Face is that about. Is, but... That is the one where uh, leaking radiation at a U.S. military base... Uh, is turning people into invisible murderers. All uh, oh, right, and uh, and when they finally uh, they find the local scientists create something that will reveal the invisible murderers, they are in fact just floating brains with eyes and yeah, spinal cords. Yeah, I remember cords. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and these spinal cords. We are watched used that to around the same time out. we watched the Blob, right? Like, there yes, was a, I yes, feel like that it was, was actually back to back with the Blob, I believe. All right, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I I don't know, like. <laughs> I remember that one now. 
Great movie. Oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, no, fifties horrors are horror films are amazing. Uh, at least flight, at least invisible floating brains are pretty rad yeah. when it comes to like ideas. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about this movie is is the the low budgetness of it. Uh, it's meant to be at a U.S. military base, right? And some mm-hmm. scenes around New Mexican, the New Mexico desert. Uh, all of this was filmed in a mansion in London. Nice. Uh, yeah. Um, supposedly, according to the Wikipedia, they chose Hampstead Heath near London, this particular mansion, because of the location similarity to New York's Central Park. Which has what? nothing to do with the plot of the movie. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Oh man. Well, I mean, you know, working with what you got, right? Like yeah. available, and the fact that, like, in black and white, you can kind of make almost anything look like anything if you don't have to deal with color. Yeah, it's deserty enough. Fuck it. Scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my favorite thing is it has one of my favorite things that exists in nearly all of these kind of films, especially if it involves the U.S. military. Which is poorly lit underground bunker. Bunker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like command bunker. I, well, like, you can't light it well. It'll reveal away. that it's a wood-lined manor house. Exactly. Well, exactly. No, I love it. I, as, a, as a concept, it always makes me so happy because it's like, well, these people work in near darkness. Why? Not because the instruments are so delicate, but because if we turned on all the lights, you'd tell that this is some dude's rec room. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. There's a fucking there's a fucking pool table like fifteen feet over there. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love it. I love I love that. I love that visual because like that visual is so ingrained in the human thought at this point because of how many movies were made like this. Right. That now even in modern film and TV, like, oh, we've got an underground, bu- like, we've got some sort of underground or secret bunker to, like, command bunker are still, like, even in, like, high-budget films are still really poorly lit for some reason. Yeah. Well, because like, everyone's... No. Like, why would you build it that way? You're Nobody looking at your computer screens and everyone wants poor eyesight. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like everybody's got real bad eye strain. Like, it's like, yeah. no, no one would ever build their underground bunker actually like that, except for as a result of the influence of these kind of things, right? Like, I guess it could have this weird, like, sort of recursive effect where it's like, now all evil villains build their underground bunkers with poor lighting because they've all seen bad movies with poor lighting. Oh, yeah, lighting. yeah. That's how they're expected to look. Yeah, it was like, well, you got to match <laughs> expectations, right? Like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to do this, I got to do this the way I'm supposed to, right? Um, you know, I love it. But, I, like, it, it applies to all of these, like, even, like, high-budget ones now, because, like, that's just, like, the way you build bunkers, apparently. Right, right. And command outposts and stuff. Uh, I also love that uh, that in the end, one, our, our, our hero pilot, who is too big in himself, uh, does regain some amount of humanity before he dies. But also points out that, hey, you can use this stuff that's all over my body to to build a, a fuselage shield so that other people don't, don't die in space. Please, please cannibalize me. <laughs> Science marches please, on. Please, 
use me for fucking scrap. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, I don't know. Like, whenever you encounter this kind of, like, that, not that specific storyline, but it's like, it's uncuttable, except for we can totally cut it. Right. Like, okay, like, if it's It can't be penetrated by bullets. or not here. Yeah. It's not quite impenetrable, you see. But it's, it's like, <laughs> it can stop a bullet, no sweat. It can stop a lot just, of bullets, no sweat. Yeah, well, exactly. But, like, all we have to do is sit down with a jeweler's saw, and we'll be through this in <laughs> ten minutes. Exactly. A diamond saw is harder than a bullet, probably. I... You know what? You might be right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say one way or the other. They are traveling quite fast, though. I bet. I bet there's a YouTube video of someone shooting a diamond that we could probably. <laughs> I'm certain you're right. I'm certain I'm not gonna go find it, uh, it. it with a high definition, low frame rate camera or high frame rate camera. So yeah. we can watch it. Somebody watch it in slow mo. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna shoot diamonds, and then we're gonna try to blend this gun. I don't know what's on YouTube anymore because all I ever get is right wing conspiracy theory Aww. videos and 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 red and like uh, what men's right activists. No matter what I watch on YouTube, yeah, that's YouTube. Oh, I watch this this video about how to build a workbench in my basement, and now I'm watching. Now I'm being exposed to men's right activist videos. Thank God YouTube is here. I'm so lucky. I just wanted to know how to build a workbench. You know, they didn't think to just like encrust the. There's a reason that armor isn't made out of diamonds, right? Toughness. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah, no, Toughness exactly, and hardness are separate It only things, works in a very but... specific capacity, yeah. Right. Um, and this is the same problem we're getting into. It's like, well, we're going to peel your skin off and <laughs> right. coat our... Right. Coat our rocket ship in your weird, freakish rock leather. Maybe they can uh, just clone his rock leather and organically grow it in the lab. Like, but what? What about, don't you need space radiation? I don't know. I know, obviously. I don't. I don't actually understand what the space radiation catalyzes. I don't understand. <laughs> right. Like, I understand that. Like, you're not supposed to look at bad horror sci-fi and ask how, because you're breaking the experience. I get that. Although that is part of the fun for me. Right. Um. But like sometimes, the next one we're gonna watch bothers to at least hand wave at the possibility of an answer yes this one's just like space radiation turned him into a rock man <laughs> fucking leave me alone stop asking me questions well and then okay, slams the door in your face i know this was two years before the fantastic four first went to print but is there an in-universe uh reason why four different sets of superpowers came out of the uh, space radiation <laughs> in the fantastic i guess i guess like okay i no as far as I know, um, it's always like themed as sort of a like, well, they, it matches their personality. Oh yes, but somehow because that's what space radiation does. <laughs> space um, radiation it gives you, gave it gives them you a an psychological online profile. BuzzFeed personality quiz. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you'd be turned into a rock man if you got hit by space radiation. That's what the space radiation did. Space radiation is so archaic. Just looked at their looked at their skull bumps. Figured out oh, Sue wants to be invisible. Ah, <laughs> oh, you, uh, you, it seems like, are smart, but going to have a really Reed, hard time in love. Reed stretches himself too thin. Uh, Ben's, Ben's just naturally a rock monster. 
<laughs> he was a rock monster before he went up there, didn't you know? And Johnny Storm's name is Johnny Storm. Of course he has fire powers. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. But to be fair, like, her name is Sue Storm. Like, okay. They're, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I assume Stanley watched this and was like, yes. All right, rock yes. monster, but. But he's a good guy. But we need more of them. But has sensitivity problems and ex- difficulty expressing himself. Oh man, the uh... is there is there some sort of early version of the thing where he's a vampire? It's... God, I hope so. I really, there really a, hope so. Is there a... I really hope that exists. A beta take um, of the thing where where he's the villain in like a Spider-Man comic and is a rock well, vampire. I had a conversation with one. <laughs> I really hope so. I had a conversation. I like. With one of my coworkers about the thing the other day, yeah, because I guess it's not really super well telegraphed in a lot of like if you don't watch the material, like read the material that much, or like my understanding has always been, and I could be totally wrong on this because I don't read the Fantastic Four very much either. But but the thing is, the sad like might be the saddest person in all of Marvel Universe, uh, in the sense that he is a literal human being who can't feel things. I can't touch or experience feelings at all. Uh, it's a terrifying thing to think about. And maybe we turn you into a vampire. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Do you remember the probably 60s or 70s comic or uh, cartoon that uh, Cartoon Network showed it a lot when we were like teenagers? Yeah. On the afternoon block where it was it was a version of the thing who had a ring that could turn him into the thing and he was just like some like country like I don't remember teen. this. No. What? I just remember his 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 action phrase was thing ring do your thing. All right, I'm looking it up. Here we are. We're on YouTube now. Now, I, what kind of men's right activist videos will this give me? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I'm watching him transform. Like, literally, the rocks fly in from outside. Right. It's terrifying. Right. It is. That, this didn't actually help. Uh, <laughs> it it's just a description of what it is. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not getting anywhere. It's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, I guess. Apparently, at one point, the Flintstones meet him. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, that's... I mean, I feel like that's that's the, that's a logical crossover, right? Nineteen seventy nine is when it came out. The thing goes camping. All right, this is we got to stop this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, being turned into a vampire, huh? But the sad thing is, is that like he's not even a good vampire. Yeah. Uh, so it's really. It's really kind of depressing, the whole thing, when you think about it. Um, and not for the reasons they wanted it to be, just because it's kind of sad to watch. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it just is. It, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I was really like, when we, we were watching this, I, you know, I watched the two for this, you know, that we're recording right today. Yeah. So we got the next one queued up. Um, and it was really remarkable because this one, I I had a hard time concentrating on this one, honestly, because it's also really boring. It's pretty slow, yeah. Honestly, like it's really like that's kind of what I was going for when I was talking about that that line between this. 
those two points in the horror spectrum. Yeah. And that this one doesn't really accomplish either goal, so you're just kind of like, this is boring. Um, I'm not really clear on, like, at what point I'm supposed to get invested in this. Um, and we don't we don't but, really get the monster reveal until the final act. Yeah, they wait way too long. They wait way too long. But so which, we're is, like, which is fine. I mean, I think, you know, like, like you know, it's like uh, Jaws. We don't get the, we don't see the shark until, until well into the movie, right? Right. But, but Jaws but, is paced in such a way where you spend the entire time going like, what is this? You know, like, right. And right. you get that with lots of these kind of movies where like, you have yeah. to, if you're not going to show me the thing, <laughs> you need to make me feel scared that this thing could strike at any moment. Right. Instead. Right. We just get told that it's eating cattle. Right. Most of, you know what I mean? Like, we don't really, we spend a lot of time being told that things are happening and not actually seeing yeah. things happen. And the reveal that it's actually uh, the pilot. Well, we already know, right? Because yeah. we know all the antecedents of that. We're not going to, like, discover that it's actually floating brains. Right, right. Like, oh, yeah, well, but... he died. He died in space. He's up there with Laika. Um, <laughs> I do, but there is the the movie doesn't want us to assume it's him, right? Because the movie the movie later says, right, but it doesn't it doesn't get oh, that. It is it's him. not allowed well, to do no. that. They're not allowed. Right. They it's not a thing it can have. I mean, it couldn't you know it I mean? couldn't be anything else, obviously. But right, well, that's what that's what I mean. Is like if you're a movie that you want, if you want us to not assume. That the guy you, if you want us to not assume it's actually Chekhov's gun, yeah, like you need to provide us with alternatives. And it does it. It's like maybe the cattle are killing themselves. Maybe the farmer is some sort of weird blood drinking lunatic. It doesn't even posit other explanations. It just walks yeah. around. It's just a bunch of guys walking around going, "What could it be?" Until they find out that, of course, it's the thing that they send into space and they couldn't find. You know, it's like. And then their cluelessness just comes off as silly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, our pilot disappeared. And then and cattle this, And this weird monster also appeared. Yeah, it's like, well, I mean, I feel like everybody like on Earth would put two and two together, right? You'd hope. Even if, even if actually, by scientific standards, putting two and two together would be batshit insane. <laughs> right. Normal people, like, like human beings are sort of built around looking for patterns, right? And it's like, well... So and so did come back to Earth from space the other day, and now all the cattle are dying, and we haven't seen him. Hmm. Well, guess it just must be some sort of new bovine disease. Let's move on. Giant blood sucking bats or something. I don't know. Right. Like it's just like, what do you guys think it is? Dan does kill a lot of people and push at least one cop into a mud puddle, so This is true. He's a monster. He is a monster. He kills a bunch of innocents who don't do anything. And then the cop who actively shoots at him just gets pushed over. Well, no, he does. Well, he does come that, back. He grabs the he grabs the cop and, and, and knocks him out or something. So That's fifties movie morality, right? Like, oh, this person's can't we can't kill this person. Right. <laughs> he's a, he does he's a cop. Probably. The cop probably does die. Uh, I, yeah, maybe. But yeah. Who knows? I mean, he dies in that 1950s uh, 
tussle sort of fight where where they yeah, grab each yeah. other's shoulders and then the villain the villain throws throws him to the side and suddenly he's not moving. So that's oh, how both do that, yeah. Yeah. No, that's I mean, it's a good way to go, right? Cuz yeah. you're like, well, we can't show blood. Right. So Right. Despite despite being this this being about a space vampire. Yeah, well. Also, how does so he actually consume the blood? I that's, I assume that's a he question has I definitely had. Does he have some sort I of straw he has some sort apparatus? of weird rock proboscis? The reason I bring that up is because drinking a thing doesn't convey its power upon you. Well, when you just need the oxygen from the blood, that's not how the human body works. But yeah, um, no, that your stomach is just not going to do that for you. I guess he has to like breathe it. I don't know. It's very unclear how that would all work. Um, I guess like among the things that the space radiation did to him was also give him the ability to drink blood for air, which seems like a weird thing for space radiation to do, but is it weirder than being able to turn invisible? I don't know. Or catch Apparently the human body can, can absorb oxygen through the stomach. Probably not in quantity sufficient to live. Probably not, but it is maybe a thing. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll believe. I'll, I'll according, defer to the man with Wikipedia open or whatever. According to Britannica, uh, according to a website called sciencebasedmedicine.org, in that a. That sounds made up. In a. Uh, Did you say sciencebasedmedicine.org? Yes. And like that, like, that's like. Not. I have not a spy dot com. <laughs> well, a 2016 article uh, suggesting that oxygenated water is useless. Uh, the title is "Oxygen Water?" Question mark. You can't breathe through your stomach, or can you? Because then you make it in a clickbait. But yeah, apparently, the, apparently the uh, the stomach can take in. Limited amounts oh, of... Oh, I don't trust this website at all. They have what? a Patreon. <laughs> Can't trust anyone with a Patreon. Speaking of which, patreon.com slash lost in criteria. They're uh, all crooks. <laughs> oh, every fucking one of them. No, I'm basically... You can't trust them because of any of the pictures on their website. I'm scrolling down and... Nope, I don't trust these people. It's all a scam. Well, they have 300 patrons. Yeah. Bringing in $1,929 per month, Pat. So, you know. I mean, I guess it's enough to run a website, so that's cool. People, not many people couldn't be wrong. I I mean, I'm just scrolling down here, and I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Listen, Who knows? I'm, I'm sure that most of this stuff is accurate-ish. Yeah. Obviously, the problem is that their name is super suspicious. Their hearts are in the right place in that they want to combat. But, uh, yeah, false. Yeah, unscientific but, medical. But I also like agree that, yeah. that it's a dumb name for a bad website. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> we 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 are not spies. Dot biz. <laughs> yes. Like I don't know. It just sound. It just sounds suspicious. Like. <laughs> If they had just edited fake mustaches onto all of their stock footage, <laughs> stock photos amazing. of doctors. With mustaches, all of them. All of them. 
Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sciencebasedmedicine.org really, really derailed you pretty hard, huh? Yes. Also, the fact that this movie is not very good is it yeah. makes it kind of hard. Because my my hesitation has always been a thing. I'm I am scared to death, and have been for a long time. It, it I wasn't initially when we first started the podcast, but I have been for a very long time scared of accidentally turning into a bad movie podcast, right? And doing the things the bad movie podcasts do. There are some good ones. There are some I very much enjoy, right? Uh, but they all work kind of the same way. And I don't want that to be how our, our podcast works. And when we watch a pretty terrible movie like this, it's really hard to not. You know? Yeah. It's like, what I, am I going to spend the entire time lambasting like this bad movie? I mean, I guess we can. I mean, it's pretty bad. Uh, it doesn't have a lot to recommend it in terms of like, I mean, like I said, it was kind of boring. I wasn't really engaged with it. It seemed pretty rife for like MST3K or something to go at it. Um, yeah, could definitely picture them talking about, it, but it's probably even too boring for them, frankly. <laughs> um. Um, I feel like there was a uh, was it this one. If you're not sure, it's definitely the next one. It might be the next one. There, the next uh, one is really rad. There was a 1980s. Uh, it came from Hollywood or something like that, where it was just a bunch of B movie footage edited together. Yeah, I, I remember those kind of things that I think contained existing. some of this. Yeah, eighty two. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe it. That contained contained stuff. Well, Dan Aykroyd and Kilda Radner were in it. You know, it's a, it's not a terrible movie, but um, I'm sure it's also a very bad movie. Um, <laughs> Probably. Well, you know, there was like, uh, what was that? There was also that uh, that movie that edited Steve Martin into like uh, noir film footage. Um, right. They were neat ideas, but I don't think they ultimately worked. So, anyway, um, but I think this one—it's either this one or or the next one—is featured in that. It's clips from I mean, maybe it's both. It's even honestly. interesting because the critical reception of this movie is also really bad. Yeah. Or 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 just above, just at middling, like most of the people is like two out of four stars or a C grade or like a drag and described as a, a draggy bore. Like, <laughs> like it's interesting when Criterion hands us a thing like that where you're like, wait, what? Like nobody likes this movie. So clearly, you have something else in mind when you give it. Either you want to just give us like epitomes of a genre, yeah. To just be like to sort of flesh out the idea that like, hey, we want to give you a genre piece, like box set, is fine. Or you're like, well, we want to get these guys. We want to, you know, I guess this uh, Richard Gordon, like, we want to like show the whole oeuvre of this yeah. person. But the Gordon, which is also, also fine. But like, Gordon, does he have something really to recommend him later on? The like, Gordon's also produced Fiend without a face. So like. Why yeah, not, but Feet Without a just, Face is dumb, but also amazing. Yeah. So I guess... This this box set is meant to be two double features, right? That's how it's it's marketed in the text of the box. 
is that you watch this and Atomic Submarine as a double feature, and you watch the other two as a double feature. Okay. Um, and in that regard, Atomic oh, Submarine shit. is definitely the better film out of these two. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, by by pretty wide margin, actually. Yeah. Um, I would like to point out that this person is also uh, <laughs> responsible for a movie called Inseminoid. <laughs> you figure out what that's about, Adam. Oh, man. Like you gotta love it when your when your Wikipedia page is like less than three par- is like three and a half paragraphs, and one of the phrases in it is inseminoid. Excellent. Um, Somebody really like keyed into that. <laughs> oh, it's called Horror Planet in the United States. My bad. But like, if you look at the poster, it's very easy to figure out. Here's a tag: somewhere in the depths of space, a horrific nightmare is about to become a reality. And yeah, no, you can the pictures. Rough. Poster is rough. Uh Inseminoid is definitely an alien ripoff. Oh yeah. No, but the way it's couched in the in the fo- in the uh in the uh yeah, for sure. You're yeah. definitely right about that. But like if you imagine alien like it's like, well we don't want him to burst from his chest this woman's chest. Yeah. How <laughs> she just gives birth to it. Right. Oh God, no! And it's a baby crawling out of her with lightning powers on the cover. Yeah, it's pretty. Good. Well, I, I will, couldn't tell if it was lightning powers or those. Are, those are their I don't flashlights. Know. I don't know. I, I thought I thought I the baby was shooting know, beams man. at the doctor, but maybe maybe I'm it's the also doctors. okay with that. I'm yeah. also okay with laser powered babies. <laughs> um, let's be clear here. In fact, you clearly just came up with a better movie. Yeah. Uh, also, also though the the cover in the Criterion Collection of First Man into Space is actually really, really good. Um, it's, yeah, uh, no, it is stylistically. I mean, well, it, and I, and it looks like a ahead, comic sorry. book cover. It's yeah, it does. It's actually really fascinating because I sometimes think like um, sometimes you start wondering did, did did Criterion pick this just because they like a dude wanted to draw the cover box <laughs> cover for this and had like a really rad idea and like yeah, fucking throw it in there, whatever. Yeah. This didn't cost us any money to buy the rights to. More than likely, yeah. The The original poster is sad. The original poster is not great. That's true. <laughs> the original poster looks like it could be a documentary. Just, just possibly. The picture that leaps ahead of the headlines, Pat. Again, that's the entire point of this movie. Was you know, before man right, actually I mean, gets the into space all and movies, ruins, right? ruins all of our sci-fi leadings. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like I feel like any after we watch that one about ants, any <laughs> sci-fi movie that doesn't educate me at the same time that it's trying to scare me is a failure. Like that's you know, fair. come I, on, teach me something. Ants, by the way, was a. We we have to be careful. No, because, we talked about this during because that ants one. ants was a uh, was a Patreon bonus episode. So it's, was it? It's a oh, hard line. I totally, it's a it's a hard line. Sometimes remembering what movies we watch because we watch <sighs> movies like this and being without a face. And there's no there's no dis, like, differentiating right. factor at all. Ants was a better movie than this. Well, yeah, for sure. No, but they I mean, live, by the way, like, or not them. Them was the name of the ants movie. Yeah, it's them. It's not ants because ants yeah. is a is a yeah. fucking 
animated movie with yeah. Woody Allen. Yes, an animated Woody Allen movie, in fact. Um, and everything genre-wise that Woody Allen film is. Uh, anyway. I, I am lucky in the fact that I have not seen that movie. I just know <laughs> what it is. I'm blessed. Anyway, uh, them... Them was during a uh, a Patreon theme where every movie had an exclamation point in its title. Oh, I was well. See, that's the issue. So your themes are sometimes ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And so like, and then like you're like, well, like, like if, if the themes are all like film adjacent themes, it'd probably be easier than I I, I picked out a bunch of films with exclamation points. Well, yeah. There's another film called Them from 2006. I'm gonna guess it's a horror film because you would never name any other oh, film, certainly, yeah. any other kind of film a horror, uh, Them other than a horror film. Ah, oh, Them was good though. I enjoyed Them. I I really enjoyed learning a lot about ants. They could have taught me about space. That's all I'm saying. The next one definitely tries me to teach me about the fucking polar ice caps. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. It wants me to know all about magnetics after I'm done with this shit. Whereas this one really just doesn't want to teach us anything. It just wants to be... Uh, Do you want an associate degree in engineering? Here, watch this movie. Watch this horror movie. <laughs> Something you talk about next week, Pat. Sorry. No, you can leave it. Like, I, no, they're all... Yeah. You're either on board for this entire run or you're not. That's true. But yeah, this... Uh... <laughs> yeah. No, it's a movie. It's... Yeah. No, it's just you. I mean, it's fine. We you have was, a hard time describing it because it is like really hard to talk about. It, it's not. It's not an interesting thing to watch, and therefore you're like, well, I guess I have to tell my the audience that we're here to talk to theoretically about this thing that is also not very interesting to watch. I will. I will point out that I misspoke earlier or inaccurately described. The locations of this movie. They did film on location at a U.S. Uh, Air Force base outside of New York City, and also on location in New Mexico. They had a little bit, okay, a little bit more money uh, than uh, than suggested from the idea that they filmed it all in a manor house. Uh, Which I mean, in reality, you've just ruined this movie for me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fiend Without a Face and The Haunted Strangler, which both came out the year before this, uh, were also both produced by uh, by at least uh, Richard Gordon. Um, and MGM thought those those both did well enough at the box office that MGM gave them uh, a much higher budget for this one. So, and then they blew it on this garbage. <laughs> Where do you think the budget went? I I assume makeup. That's fair. I mean, the costume's not bad. No, and actually, I enjoyed reading the costume thing because, like, the guy in the costume suffered from the same problem that the actual that the the, the story character suffered. From <laughs> he couldn't not breathe. Being able to breathe, which is pretty fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah. he actually actually made the thing that he's being tortured with. Oops. Had to drink blood. Uh... Yeah, no, that I mean, it's all on the Wikipedia page about the the actual actor drinking blood to survive uh, while he was in that costume. It's all yeah. there. I love Leonard Maltin gave it two out of four stars, stating that the film was better than its description sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is amazing, right? Like, what a weird, what a like, what a just an absolute backhanded slap. Yeah, your description is garbage. So this is actually better than that, but uh, still, still terrible. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh yeah. No, I forgot. That was actually what my original introduction was going to be about was the fact that like just the god awful fake Mexican accents. Just Oh yeah. The worst thing that is one of the like just awful. I accidentally I I forgot about that because uh a uh, a regular bad movie thing that I do with some friends of mine now uh is uh the night before we recorded this, I watched Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Okay, uh, where uh, all of the Mexican accents are uh, are provided by actual Hispanic actors, uh, but uh, but there's some weird like class issues going on with <laughs> with Beverly Hills Chihuahua, where all the white coated dogs are are rich, and all of the all the Hispanic coated dogs are uh, mongrel street dogs. <laughs> It's a movie trying to make a statement there, Adam. Oh, clearly, clearly. Um, about the iniquities of society. Interestingly enough, on Beverly Hills Chihuahua, one thing I love about it is that the, the prevailing theory on why it did well at the box office is that it was 2008 and people needed to be distracted. A lot, okay. of, a lot of people looking looking to not think about their lives in 2008. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I digress. First yeah, man. So I'm, I'm confused how that didn't key in you into the fact that these are all really bad Mexican. But these accents. are all, uh, yeah, they're not. They're not great. Um, Maria Landy, who plays uh, plays the female lead in this, and as much as there is a female lead, is very obviously Italian, and <laughs> not even not even trying to pretend. <laughs> yeah, I'm always a fan when that happens in a movie. It's like even just even though her name is Tia oh. Francesca. Um, I would like to point out that we're wrong because Criterion Confessions gave this a gave this a positive review. So oh, yeah? we've clearly done something wrong here. Yeah. Oh, I mean, listen, I, we're bad at this. So yeah, I know. I'm just saying we should key. We should remember that we're bad at. This. I'm sure that I'm sure that Tia occurs naturally as as a first name. Uh, but I love I love Maria Landy's character being named Tia because it's also Spanish for aunt. Okay. Uh so so basically basically her name that she's repeatedly referred to is just just the Spanish of equivalent of calling her auntie over and over again. Well, yeah, I mean that's I'm cool with that. Yeah. There's a there's some weird that that adds a nice weird vibe <laughs> yeah. to this whole thing. Definitely definitely a weird sex thing going on now. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. <laughs> I mean, this is by the the, the band who brought us in Seminoid, so in Seminoid. you know, <laughs> I'm never gonna forget that one. It is interesting. It is always an interesting moment when some weird, stupid fact about a movie greatly outclasses the entirety of the movie in my mind to the point where I will never remember anything about this except for In Seminoid. Do you think that Carl J's scientist character in this movie um, is German? Because uh, at the time, did did all rocket scientists have to be German, or did all rocket Absolutely. scientists have to be Warner von Braun? That's the same thing, Adam. But not all Germans are Warner von Braun. I think we can we can safely say that. All, but all rocket scientists are. Yeah. Like I I I mean I know I know the question you're asking, but I don't think those are separable. Probably honestly, not. I think the the association between those things was so hard. That like you, that it was inconceivable. Like, it's it's 
built into the DNA. I mean, like that we, that that's that bullshit still haunts us haunts us right now, right? Yeah. Um, in the sense that like rocket scientists are more or less still German. That's fair. In movies, like they just are, uh, and that's it's become inescapable, right? But like you know, that's that's its thing, right? Like I mean, like, uh, and like I mean, kind of like. It, it, you know, if you combine that with like you know the Manhattan Project and things like that, at this point, it's just like all scientists in like in semi dubious fields are. are German. <laughs> it's just a rule. I would like to point out that the, yeah, I mean, like I I had forgotten that this person existed, but he was also in uh, the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, huh? Yeah, I, I had not. Uh, I didn't realize that until I started looking at this. Mainly because these got this level of quality of black and white film, like nobody has faces for me. <laughs> like everybody's basically indistinguishable from each other. Uh, I'm lucky if I can discern if I can determine at least like. Well, also, maybe, I mean, like, he's not categories. Of he's not exactly an important character. He's just one of the other Germans in. No, I, I know, but like. All the characters are like that for me. Yeah, his accent at least made him identifiable in the context of the film. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes, there's the German guy. He's not just one of the Americans. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before. I'm going to talk about this again with the next movie. But like, my my whatever weird face blindness I have quadruples when applied to white dudes in black and white films. Oh yeah. Oh certainly. Are all just the same person? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I get you there. <laughs> well, uh, it seems like we would rather talk about the next movie, so maybe yeah, it's time to, would, to pull this one to a close since we're recording them back to back. This week we've been kicking off the Monsters and Mad Men box set from the Criterion Collection with its first film, The First Man Into Space, uh, from 1959, directed by uh, Robert Day. And uh, he will direct three of the other films that we watch in this box set, but not the next one. Next week we were talking about The Atomic Submarine, directed by <laughs> Otherwise Spencer Otherwise known as The Hunt for Red October with <laughs> aliens. <laughs> also fair. Um, <laughs> or Moby Dick, really. I mean, Moby Dick with it. I mean, they're the same thing, right? Yes, they are. I mean, just whether or not it's a person or not, basically. <laughs> uh, but yes, um... Not starting off this box set very strongly with First Man Into <laughs> nope. Space. Uh, perhaps would have been better if they stuck to the working title, Satellite of Blood, which also doesn't make sense, but at least is fun. But it's, at least is interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I, and then I can't, whenever I hear Satellite of Blood, I can't stop thinking about Satellite of Love. and Right, right. It just, it makes the whole thing more fun. Thank you once again for listening to The Lost and Criterion. I am as Adam, I am as Adam, always Adam Glass. Uh, <laughs> They start that sentence all over. the outro that way every time. I am as Adam always. It seems like a threat. It feels like you're threatening the audience. Like if you just did a really upsetting voice and like, I am as, I am as Adam always. Are you Gozo? Like, sorry. Thank you once again for listening to Lost Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we will see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.